Yeah, we get to come again to the unchanging Word of God, and I love coming together Sunday mornings. Um, I see Sundays as the end of a week and the beginning of a new week and uh, a time to receive new mercies from the Lord. And so, um, you know, I'm glad to bring something each week from God's Word uh, to you to hopefully help you to trust Jesus as your King, uh, to serve Him more faithfully and fruitfully in His kingdom, And so um, just really looking forward to the word that he has for us today. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 6, picking up in verse 30. Uh, And let me pray for us briefly. You know, we've been through a significant change in this last week as as a country with uh, a new president. And, um, you know, you won't necessarily hear me talk so much from the pulpit about... um, things of that kind, but I think that in this change, I'm thankful for the unchanging word of God and to have a king of kings who is on the throne. And so, but what I want to do in our prayer this morning is just pray uh, a blessing um, over that new administration and uh, just a blessing over our congregation that we would do what God has called us to do for his kingdom here. Amen. Amen. So let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that we are your servants, that we are citizens of heaven. And Lord, we have a dual citizenship, both of heaven and of earth, Lord. And I pray that we would be faithful in both. And Lord, we thank you for um, those servants that you have placed to uh, lead this country. Lord, we ask that you'd give them wisdom and understanding to do that, Lord. And God, that they would acknowledge you in their ways And Lord, that we would acknowledge you in our ways, Lord. And God, that each one of us here would do our part, Lord, to represent Christ to a world that so desperately needs you. And Lord, we thank you that you are our king, Lord, and that you are on the throne and you are unchanging. You're a king of kings and Lord of lords, and we worship you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So starting at verse 30. It says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. So the apostles are those 12 men that Jesus has called to himself. We know that um, Jesus chose them. They did not choose him. Uh, Jesus spent a night on a mountain praying to the Father about who he would choose. And after selecting those 12, he went out and he called them and he said, follow me. And they did. They followed him and started to do the things that Jesus was teaching them to do. We've seen now in Mark's gospel that he not only calls them disciples, but he also calls them apostles. And the word apostle simply means sent ones. And that is what Jesus has now done. He has sent them in pairs, two by two, to preach the kingdom of God and to demonstrate it. And so they've gone throughout various towns and villages with the authority and with the power of Jesus to do mighty works. And they were obedient to Jesus to do these things, right? And we've seen so far that as they went out to proclaim that people should repent, uh, that they would lay hands on sick people, that they might be healed. They prayed in the authority and name of Jesus to cast out demons. And they came back in verse 30 to report to Jesus all that they'd done in his name. And they were amped about it. They were so excited about what they got to do for Jesus and their sharing about their experiences and giving testimonies of what happened as they proclaimed the people of God. And they're saying, 
It was amazing, Jesus. We, we, we told them the gospel, that they should repent and turn to God, and people responded. And, and they're saying, Jesus, we, we laid hands on this guy, and he was, he was healed of blindness, just like you showed us how to do. And, and we cast out demons in your name. Oppressed people are being set free, and we're doing it in the name of Jesus. And, and so the disciples, the apostles, they're coming back to Jesus, and they're, they're so excited. They're so stoked for what they get to do for Jesus. And you know, Jesus is really happy for them. Now, there's something I want us to see, which is that Jesus loves when his students, when his followers come back to tell him about what they've been doing for him. See, one of the things that I love to hear is testimonies of uh, people in our community, in in our church. Because I see church as a time to gather, to be equipped, and to be empowered, and to be given the authority of Christ, then to go and scatter and to do the work of God. To gather and then to scatter. And one of the best parts of gathering is that we get to share testimony of all that God's been doing in our previous week. We get to share these things with one another, and it fills us up, and it encourages us so that we can then go back out for another week and pour out again. We gather here on Sundays to be equipped so that we can then scatter and be used. And and I know that for me, though, one of the things is that with Jesus is that I can get so caught up in doing ministry and get caught up doing things for the Lord that I sometimes forget to connect back with Jesus about it. You know what I mean? We, We get going and doing the works of God but, but we forget that, that Jesus just wants us to come back to him simply so that he could be with us. You know, sometimes we think that we got to check back with Jesus in order so that he could give us a grade on our performance. That's not how we're supposed to check back with Jesus. Sometimes we think that we come back to Jesus just so he can highlight to us all of our mistakes or, or some other different way that we think when we come back to Jesus, it, it's so that he can kind of get us in line, right? But, but for Jesus, he just simply loves that we're with him, that we're spending time with him, and he wants to encourage us to move forward and to do more for his name. So when we come to Jesus, just like the disciples did, and come and tell him about all that they had done and taught, it's so that with Jesus, we might be able to celebrate the victories also so that he can forgive the failures and if you're like me you have failures in the week and it's good to connect back with Jesus and 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 let him wash over you and cleanse you and just to keep you moving forward in the power and authority of Jesus amen amen well to make this point further let's keep looking at verses 31 to 32 it says and he said to them come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while For many were coming and going and had no leisure to even eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, you guys feeling good? How are the hands? They're cold, huh? You feeling good? Anyone needs to move into the sun? Now's the time to do it. You good? Good, good, good. Well, verse 31, I would say, guys, is probably one of the most underrated verses of the New Testament. Um, I see this call of Jesus for his disciples to rest as one of the most important and wonderful things about how Jesus leads us. Um, See, did you see what they 
he wanted the disciples to do. It says that they were doing so much ministry for the Lord. They were serving him as his sent ones, and they were meeting all kinds of needs for the people, except what was going on is that the days were being so fast and full that the disciples weren't having enough time to just slow down and leisurely eat a meal. And so he says to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. So Jesus says to his apostles, come on guys, we're going on vacation. We're going to get away from here from all of the fast and full pace of life and we're going to go to a desolate place and we're going to rest a while. And so they get in this boat and they go. And look, the point is, is that daily life in ministry can get really fast and full. Things can get so busy and the needs of life become so great. And there are days where, (laughs) you know, finding time just to leisurely sit down and have a meal can become hard to do. Anybody can say amen to that? Where you get so busy, you get so caught up in just the pace of life that you're missing just the most fundamental human needs. And that's a problem. See, we live in a culture that often rewards this kind of behavior, but that's not the way of Jesus. That fast and full pace of life where you're neglecting just your basic needs, that's not the way of Christ. And, you know, make no mistake, Jesus knew what it was like to have a full and hard day of work. And there are places and times in our lives where we need to meet the busy demands of life, uh, but Jesus knows the importance of rest. And, and I really hope that as disciples of Christ, you understand the importance of rest. Jesus is teaching this to his disciples here, and he says, um, come away with me. We need to break away. We need to find rest. We need time to just sit down together and have a meal. Time to just get a little extra sleep. Time to pray. Let's go and rest a while. Because Jesus would not allow the busyness of life and ministry to distract him from the most fundamental need that he had. See, this is a practice, right, that even God himself had after creation. He created the whole universe, and then on the seventh day, he rested. And so if God needed to rest, what makes us think that we don't need to rest? We need this. We, if we think that we don't need rest and leisure, it's going to catch up to you. It's either going to burn you out, it's going to have its effects on your family or on your work or on your ministry. Um, so make sure that you're finding this kind of rest. And so Jesus liked to take his disciples away to these desolate places. And he would often get there by hiking or, or boating And he'd go to these places just to be with his disciples, these desolate places. Now, you might be more the hotel type, right? And that's okay. Janet, I know you. Not desolate places for Janet. She's like, I'm a hotel type, right? So, but but this coming away with Jesus is so important. One uh, summer when I was a high school pastor in Santa Barbara, um, I took the, the, the students of the high school ministry on a camp. And I themed the camp on this verse, to come away with Jesus and to rest a while. And one of the coolest trips I ever did is we took a boat out of Long Beach and we spent a whole week on Catalina Island. 
theming the week around this verse. And uh, just as a real simple uh, encouragement to you, if you need to rest a while in a desolate place, uh, right out of Long Beach, you can take about an hour boat ride to Catalina Island, and it feels like a completely different place. So anyone want to plan a trip there? Go for it. It's a, it's a great one. But um, listen, I make the point because rest is part of your discipleship. Rest is part of your discipleship. Vacations, date nights, leisurely hikes, naps. Anyone amen for naps? That's part of your discipleship. Um, Surfing is part of your discipleship. Uh, A good novel. These are all ways that you can connect with Jesus in leisure and rest so that he can satisfy your soul with his presence so that you don't burn out, so that you don't come unglued. And that is what Jesus is doing with his disciples. Verse 33, now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them, (laughs) which is hilarious. Uh, Because after vacation, you've got work. After a date night, you've got kids. After a hike, you've got traffic. And when you pick your head up out of that novel, real life is staring you in the face. (laughs) And that's how Jesus and the disciples feel right here where they're trying to find that rest and yet these crowds chase after them on foot and stop them from entering that place of rest because, guys, this this is why rest needs to be planned and intentional. It's why rest needs to be planned and intentional because there will always be something that runs ahead and stops you from finding rest. There will always be another feed. There will always be another email. There will always be another errand to keep you from coming away with Jesus and resting a while. And people, whether they know it or not, will keep you from entering the rest that you need. And it's why Jesus would often slip out of the crowds and go get kind of lost in the mountains for hours or even days where people couldn't find him because Jesus realized the importance of this. Now, what does Jesus do? He clearly wants to go rest, and yet he's being stopped by another crowd. Verse 34 says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things, right? So they're headed on this boat on their vacation. And as soon as they arrive, there's this desperately needy crowd that wants to have time with Jesus. And you recall what these crowds were like, right? When the woman who had the flow of blood, it says that the crowds thronged about Jesus. And that word is that they suffocated around him. Like you couldn't even move a step without being smushed in these crowds and we're not told the immediate response or like oh when the disciples saw this crowd are you kidding me (laughs) this crowd again we'll see a little bit later that you kind of see the frustration of the disciples but but we want to look at what jesus did when he saw these crowds when he saw them he knew that his disciples needed leisure and rest And he was intentionally going to seek that with him. But when he saw this crowd, he he couldn't help 
but to be moved with compassion for them. There are times, like I said, where Jesus will slip out through the crowd and he's not going to meet the needs of the crowd because he knows the time he needs. But, but here he is so filled with compassion and he, he feels it deep within his heart that he knows that he needs to minister to them. And, and here's a great thing about us in our rest is that any time we're in a place of rest, we also need to be ready to minister at a moment's notice. When you're on vacation, you should be ready to minister at a moment's notice because you never know when God is going to divinely orchestrate a moment for you to be his witness. See, because rest is never to be prolonged beyond our need because leisure can quickly turn to laziness. Let me say that again. Rest must never be prolonged beyond our need because leisure can quickly turn to laziness. So Jesus is ready in this moment to minister and he's going to do it with compassion. Why does Jesus have compassion? Well, it says that when he saw these people, he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. I like the way Matthew puts it. It says that he saw them like harassed and helpless sheep with no one to guide them. You see, sheep aren't really the smartest animal. <laughs> uh, without a shepherd to guide sheep, uh, sheep are often prone to danger. They're in danger of wandering and falling off a cliff. Uh, sheep are in danger of being picked off by wolves or lion as they come to the edge of a forest. Uh, they, one of my favorite things about sheep is um, they'll, if you don't lead them into new pastures, they'll eat in the same spot that they dig themselves into a rut and then they can't get out of the rut and then they starve to death. <laughs> it's pretty bad. And if you didn't know, we're compared to sheep in the Bible. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's pretty accurate, right? See, without Jesus as our good shepherd, we are like harassed and helpless sheep. And so Jesus saw them in this way as 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 the sheep that needed a shepherd in, it says that he felt compassion. That word compassion speaks of this deep, visceral response. You know that feeling you get inside where you've got like a pit in your stomach, where your heart just is aching? It's, uh, it's this deep-seated emotion that takes place in the depth and the core of your being. And when Jesus saw these people, that's what he felt inside of himself. Kind of in the cavern of his emotions, he felt compassion and he knew that they needed a shepherd. And so Jesus begins to minister to them. And how does he minister to them? It says it right there, that he would teach them many things. Which tells us that the primary way that Jesus, as our good shepherd, leads us is by teaching us. That is his primary way that he leads us and guides us. And if I might say, as an under-shepherd... And that's what pastor means. So Pastor Daniel, that, that means that I am a, an under-shepherd of Christ. He's the chief shepherd. My goal as an under-shepherd is to point people to the chief shepherd. But my primary way that I am to shepherd the flock of God that is among us, this, these people, which is you, that God has entrusted for me to uphold his word and to feed you by his word, my primary way to guide you is by teaching you, by teaching you many things. And, and so our aim 
as pastors of this church, Rob and Ben and Bendikai and myself, our heart as pastors is to teach you many things so that you might be guided by your chief shepherd, who is Jesus. Amen? Amen. We hold that to be a great privilege and responsibility, and we don't take it lightly. So thank you for allowing us to shepherd you uh, as a church. Then in verse 35 and 36, it says, When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So you can see here, right, that the disciples are like, come on, Jesus, like, let's get on with our vacation. It's getting late. It's getting dark. It might be cold. They're kind of warming up their hands, and they're like, let's go start a fire, Jesus. And they're saying, why don't you send these crowds away? Because here, there's nowhere to eat. There's no restaurants. We're not going to be able to cook. So send them into the surrounding villages so that they can buy themselves something to eat. And right, we can sympathize with the disciples. Kind of like, okay, hey, Lord, get on with it. <laughs> You're probably, you might be thinking to me right now as, as a pastor shepherding you by teaching you, like, hey, get on with it. It's, it's cold, and you're like, oh, you know, but, but we have, right, we're, we're both physical beings and spiritual beings, and right now, for the disciples, their flesh is in the way. Like, they're, they're just ready to get out of there. But see, Jesus wasn't done with them yet. Jesus wasn't done with what he wanted to do for the crowds, and he wasn't done with what he wanted to do for his disciples. And Mark's gospel doesn't clue us into this, but if you read it in John's gospel, which, by the way, this story of the feeding of the 5,000, it is recorded in all four gospels, which tells us that it's a pretty important moment in the ministry of Jesus. But in John, what we find out is that it says Jesus already knew what he wanted to do in the situation. Let me read it for you. John chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, he says, Lifting up his eyes, then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, one of his disciples, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he wanted to do. Isn't that so great? Jesus is like, I'm going to do a miracle. <laughs> and he's asking his disciples, you want to be part of this? Where can we buy food? And he said this to test them. Now, let's look at what happens in this story. Verse 30, uh, or yeah, verse 37. The immediate response of the disciples is, send them away so that they can go buy for themselves something to eat. But look at what Jesus says to them in verse 37. You give them something to eat. Isn't that so great? See, both of these statements are commands, and what I sense from the text is that the disciples are getting a little hangry, and they're starting to give commands to Jesus, and yet Jesus, uh, on the other hand, responds to them by saying, verse 37 to 39, but he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups 
on the green grass. So when you read this, I, I don't know if you pick up on it, but when I read it, I see a little bit of tension and heat going on between Jesus and the disciples. A lot of commands are flying back and forth. Jesus, uh, the disciples are telling Jesus what they think he should do. And Jesus is saying, no, I, I want you guys to do it. And the whole thing is Jesus is testing them to see if they're learning and they're understanding now as his students what Jesus is able to do. Jesus is seeing if they're going to submit to what he wants to do for their crowds. See, is the, is the compassionate heart of Jesus going to overturn the self-focused hearts of the disciples? That's what's happening right here. Is the compassionate heart of Jesus going to overturn the self-focused hearts of the disciples? See, in this moment, the disciples are lacking faith. They're in the flesh. They're only seeing two possibilities, and they are only physical and not spiritual. The first option is send the crowds away to go buy their own food. Or the second option is, well, I guess we could maybe raise enough money to buy enough food to maybe feed all of these people. But what they failed to see was the third option, which is that they were in the presence of the Son of God, the one who has already turned water into wine, the one who is all-sufficient and all-powerful, who clearly has done miracles in their presence. But the disciples right here, they're only looking at their own physical resources to meet the need. And what they failed to do was to look with eyes of faith to see that Jesus has spiritual resources to meet our needs. They were only looking at their own physical way to meet their need rather than the spiritual resources that God has available to his disciples. Can anyone relate? See, the disciples expected people to have their own independent solutions to their problems rather than collectively looking to the shepherd to feed the sheep. We can get so self-focused as disciples, just looking out for our own interests, telling other people, figure it out on your own, rather than as disciples and therefore a flock of God collectively looking to our shepherd to satisfy our every need. And so you've kind of got this snarky response that the disciples say like, what, should we go spend 200 denarii and buy bread for all these people? And then Jesus says to them, go and see. Go see what you can find. And so the disciples go and probably a little reluctantly go throughout this crowd and try to find what food they can gather up. And they come back to Jesus with, with what seems to be the only sack lunch that this big crowd brought as they chased Jesus down. And it was a lunch from a young boy that included five loaves of bread and two fish. And verse 39 says, then he commanded them all to sit in groups on green grass. So spoiler alert right now, Jesus is about to do a miracle. Um, but before we look at the miracle, I want us to see what Jesus has done leading up to this miracle. Which is that he has done everything, or the disciples have done everything that they could do up to this point. They went and collected food. They made the crowd sit in groups, which is good because they wanted to create order and not a frenzy. Um, and what I see in this is this great principle for the miracles of Jesus. And I, I've said this before in past weeks, but 
when Jesus does miracles, oftentimes what he looks for is for us to do everything that we can do, and then he comes in and does what only he can do. Sometimes this happens unwillingly on our part because we come to the end of ourselves. We realize that we don't have the ability in ourselves to do what only God can do. And then he steps in and does the miraculous. But how good is it when we do this willingly? When we, in a sense, set the stage for Jesus to do the miraculous. See, when Jesus does these great and mighty works, he calls his disciples into participation with him. And so the disciples gather five loaves and two fish, and only Jesus can multiply it. But they can go get the loaves and the fish. They could make the group sit down in an orderly fashion so that Jesus could do the miraculous without distraction and chaos and confusion, which I I see this as a great principle that when God does miracles, he doesn't want disorder and chaos and confusion to be associated with the miraculous. He loves to do miracles in a way that create order and, 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 and because, see, miracles without order can actually be a detriment to people. And so God is a God of order, not a God of confusion, and that's how he decides to do this miracle. Now, let's read how it happens, verse 40 to 44. So they sat in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples and set it before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were about 5,000 men. So the compassionate shepherd feeds the harassed and helpless sheep. It says there that they ate and were filled. They were stuffed, like after a Thanksgiving dinner. 5,000 men, that doesn't include the number of women and children that were probably present, which means that upwards to 10, even 20,000 people were fed this day by Jesus. And here's a few points that I want us to see. I'm just going to rattle off a few things that I see in this miracle. First is that Jesus had the crowd sit in groups of 50s and 100s because, as I said, God is a God of order, not a God of, of confusion and, and frenzy. Second is that Jesus looked to heaven and he said a blessing. He knew that every good and perfect gift comes down from above from our Father of heavenly lights. And he took this bread knowing that it's from the Father whom we receive our daily bread. Next, he gave the disciples the responsibility of distributing the food, which is that the disciples actually did a lot in this miracle. Um, He had to overturn their hearts, and they had to get in alignment with what Jesus wanted. But once they saw what Jesus wanted, they actually partnered with Jesus in this great miracle. And then, probably my favorite part is that the disciples took up the leftovers in baskets, which tells me that in the kingdom of God, one, there is no lack, and there is no waste. God gave in abundance so that everyone was completely filled full and it exceeded their expectation of what they would have gotten that day. However, nothing was wasted. 
that he picked up the leftovers and probably used it for another meal for another day, which tells us, again, there is no lack in the kingdom of God and there is nothing wasted in the kingdom of God. And so there's this incredible, incredible miracle and, and there's a lot of practical applications of this, but as we end here, I hope that we wouldn't just come away from the feeding of the 5,000 to get some practical tips for how we're to live our lives without seeing the deepest meaning of why Jesus did this miracle. That we would go away cherishing in our hearts the ultimate reason for why God multiplied loaves of bread. See, next week in our text, we're going to read verse 52. As the disciples are in another storm, it says, For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. See, if we come away today seeing this great miracle of Jesus and being like, wow, that's so great. But we fail to miss what Jesus ultimately intended for us to get from it. We're going to miss it all. See, this story isn't just about physical provision. Though Jesus physically provided for that great crowd that day. The story is ultimately about the spiritual provision that God brings to us. Right after this miracle was done, it tells us, I think it's in John's gospel, yeah, chapter 6, verse 15, that the disciples saw how he fed them all with all of this food, and then they're like, hey, Jesus, you should be our king. And they chased Jesus down to try to grab him and bring him to Jerusalem to be the king of, of Israel. And it says that Jesus snuck out from the crowd and went to a mountain by himself. See, because Jesus is no earthly king. I mean, he's the king of heaven and earth, but not in the way that they wanted him to be. We need to make sure that we see Jesus for who he truly is. And this miracle worker, Jesus, explained in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, the whole reason for this happening. And as we end here, I'm going to end it in a way that is a little different. I'm not going to give necessarily any kind of admonishment or um, invitation maybe to receive Christ. Like if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior yet, uh, I hope you don't leave here without that being fact. But by ending today, I'm just going to read a rather extensive portion of Scripture from John chapter 6. And um, you can open it up. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation just so that there's some understanding and ease as we read it. And here's what I want to say as we read it, is I truly believe that Jesus could do a miraculous work in this moment as we read this scripture, where you see Jesus in this way that is absolutely profound. Um, But you have to do everything on your part right now. Do everything that you can do to listen intently, and then Jesus will do what only he can do, which is to take his word and implant it within our hearts to bring so much transformation. I came to John chapter 6 this week with a whole new appreciation for it. It's ministered to me so greatly this week, and I hope it does to you too. So John chapter 6, we're going to read from verses 22 um, all the way to uh, verse 58, so quite a bit. You guys ready? And this is how we're going to end. 
says the next day, and this is the day after the feeding of the 5,000. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where Jesus had blessed the bread and people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got in the boat and went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For, the God, for God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, we want to perform the works of God too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one who he has sent. Then answered, or they answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scripture says, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. Then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I am the bread that come down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say I came down from heaven? But Jesus replied, stop complaining about what I said. For no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. As it is written in the scriptures, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has ever seen the Father. Only I, who was sent from God, have seen him. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. Then the, be the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They asked. 
So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me, in the same way anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will never die, will not die as your servants did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. We'll just end there on the words of Jesus. Lord Jesus, I know that even for the disciples hearing this, it was hard for them to understand. There were even some who followed you that said, well, th- this, this stuff is too difficult, and they, they didn't follow you anymore. And you said, Jesus, that the spirit alone gives life, the flesh profits nothing. I pray that today, Lord, that we would have heard those words, not just physically, but spiritually, Lord, that, that we would have ears to hear what the spirit is speaking that we would understand these words, that your body is true bread and that your blood is true drink and that if we eat and drink of you, we will have eternal life and you will raise us up at the last day. I thank you, Lord, how the disciples were there and you said, do you want to leave too? And Peter responded, Lord, where would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. I pray. I pray no one would not follow you because of the difficulty of these words. I pray that we would all turn to you and say, (laughs) where else would we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. Thank you that you've spoken them to us today, Jesus. We pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Let's worship together.